Welcome to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast, and now videocast again, our second time here. I'm Jake Letarski. This man over here is John Littering. Uh, you can follow John on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto-Jake. Today we're going to be going over making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 265. Derek Lewis, Cyril Gane. we'll talk about the main event and maybe pull out some other picks in there. You know, DFS, DraftKings, FanDuel, that kind of thing for you here. Um, quick housekeeping thing. Betting section on Rotowire, I can't pump that up enough. We've got odds from four different sports books, bunch of different props up there. Let you sort. I love sorting by first round knockout, and I'll use that on the show a little bit later on here. Uh, so that's a cool thing to check out. And then, of course, Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Rotowire YouTube channel. You can you can catch that on, on my Twitter. And uh, anyway, uh, Joe, Sean, and Chris are going to be back for Fight IQ. So they'll do a, a, a little more in-depth post-weigh-in show that goes from the very bottom of the prelims all the way to the top. But we're going to get you started with a uh, a nice little first look here. Um, John, how's it going? I mean, since the last time we've talked, lots been going on. TJ Dillashaw came back and win. Sean Strickland looked pretty dang good, and he's already got another fight. Any stories jump out at you this week? I'm intrigued by the Luke Rockhold return. He's going to fight Sean Strickland uh, in the fall, a couple months. Uh, Strickland just torched Uriah Hall. I mean, that fight was not the least bit close. Um, could have been stopped a couple times, ended up, uh, you know, going till the end. But um, Uriah Hall's toughness is admirable. But that kind of performance should tell anybody who didn't know about Sean Strickland that he's definitely legitimate. Um I would think he'd probably be favored over Luke Rockhold, given what we've seen from Strickland and how long Rockhold's been oh, yeah. off. But I, I would guess say we'll like see. minus two hundred or more, he'd be favored. Yeah, probably somewhere in there. I don't know. Some Vegas lines, uh, you know, have a bias towards you know ex champions and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I mean, considering what we've seen lately, I think Rockhold should. De- uh, excuse me, Strickland should definitely be favored. Yeah, yeah, maybe the name will give Rockhold a little steam. Uh, I mean, Rockhold's thirty six, and I think yeah, Rockhold no. has been permanently ruined by Yoel Romero. I don't think there's really any coming back from that. When he just he doesn't look thirty six, yeah, he doesn't. No, he does not. He could he could probably still do Calvin Klein ads if if he didn't want to cage fight anymore. But uh, no, that'll be a good fight. Dillashaw back. I mean, he'll be knocking on the door. Maybe I do you give Dillashaw the the Jan Sterling. Well, the Jan Sterling rematch just got announced. That was made official. Obviously, check out uh, you know at Rotowire MMA on Twitter, and we get you all the latest updates of fight announcements and that kind of thing. But you think they'll just go? ahead and give Dillashaw to the winner of that fight they might I mean you know Sanhagen's really good and you know that fight was close but you know Dillashaw deserved to win he looked far better than I thought he would given how long he'd been away and you know I kind of I don't like the fact that you're rewarding a guy for winning one fight after he was suspended two years for PEDs or whatever it was Mm. but you know we say this a million times we're going to say it again momentarily the UFC, first and foremost, is a money-making organization. That is what they care about. If it's a fight they think will oh, yeah. make money and draw pay-per-view buzz, that's where they're going with it. Yeah, for the record, I had that I had that fight scored for Sandhagen afterwards, you know, maybe with some beer goggles involved in that or, or another, but I thought Sandhagen won at least three of those five rounds here. Um, let's jump into it, though. You know, uh, you know what, what everyone's here for. We got Derek Lewis, fan favorite Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gane. Gane is a massive favorite. Minus 400, come back on Lewis, plus 300. Uh, you know, for those of you to do the math, that's 80%. That means that Vegas thinks that Gane wins this fight clean four out of five times. Uh, the DraftKings salaries reflect that as well. I believe 9400 for Gane is the highest price on DraftKings. Yes, it is. It's Gane followed by Rafael Fiziev and Alonzo Menafield and Johnny Munoz. So uh, just, you know, some perspective there. Gane is the most expensive on DraftKings. Uh, you know, you got a five-round fight. Odds to finish, minus 200. Someone's going to sleep here, maybe. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one, John? 
you know, I guess this kind of breaks down like every other fight that Eric Lewis is in. Um, he's probably almost certainly going to have to score a knockout to win. Um, I was really, really impressed with what Cyril Gane did against Alexander Volkov. Um, Volkov is a high-level kickboxer, and we've seen him give all sorts of guys, high-end guys, a bunch of trouble. And to be honest, Gane just blew by him without issue. That really surprised me how easily he handled him. Um, Volkov has a ton of experience. Gane does not, and it still was not a remotely close fight. I was extremely impressed by what I saw there. Um, You know, this is a five-round fight, and I wrote in my preview column, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I actually think the fact it's a five-round fight favors Derek Lewis. And he's not obviously not going to have the, you know, not expected to have the cardio Gane has, and he's unlikely to win a decision. But if you think Derek Lewis is only going to win via knockout, obviously it's going to come from one of his huge punches that, you know, either knocks Gane out or leads to a finish or whatever. If that is indeed the case, I really think that those, that extra 10 minutes on the clock gives Lewis an additional edge to try and land one of those shots. Um, I think that's probably the only way he wins. You know, I certainly wouldn't pick him via decision or anything like that. Um, uh, he's certainly, in terms of Lewis, 6800 on DraftKings. He's underpriced at 6800 You know, I don't think that's remotely, you know, I don't think there's any argument there. When you have a guy who has that kind of knockout power, at that cheap a salary, I certainly would advocate getting a piece of him in some form or fashion. The upside is just too high. Um, you could probably make an argument Lewis has maybe the second, you know, best knockout power in the company behind Francis Ngannou. So if you think that at 6,900, you want to get that guy in your lineup somehow, somewhere, just because the payoff is so large. Um, you know, I'm not picking Lewis to win. I'm going to pick Ghana to win. Um, I was real, like I mentioned, I was really impressed with what he did against Alexander Volkov. You know, you figure this is going to be a kickboxing match. Ghana is much more technical. He's has better cardio. He's more, he has a more diverse skill set. But Derek Lewis looks like he's being underrated here, at least from a DraftKings standpoint. When you have that much fight ending power, 6,900 is a really good price. So even though I'm not picking him to win, I like him from a DraftKings standpoint. Yeah, sixty eight hundred. So you even get an extra oh, hundred bucks there. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah so, so the magic, uh, you know, the general rule of thumb for DraftKings GPPs. Maybe that changed a little bit since uh, the scoring changed. But you shoot for twelve x, right? If you're going to get a GPP, twelve x for Derek Lewis at sixty eight hundred is eighty one point six points. If he gets the finish, we think is his only path to victory he's getting over 100 points so of course that puts you way ahead in your lineups and you need to get some exposure i would say uh in that sense here um man so looking at this it's like okay Ghana's better striker he's more technical Ghana has way better cardio uh garnet Ghana has way less mma miles and he's undefeated uh, but what is it? Eight and oh, nine and oh, he doesn't have a ton of pro fights. Yeah, I think he's nine and oh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gane will be better on the mat if it goes to the mat. You know, <laughs> he's he's a big, strong, athletic guy. All those saying all those things, I, you know, I saw this in a tweet. Someone went down all this list and then it was like, but I'm picking Lewis by 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 knockout here. And I think uh, I'm going to go with them, man. I think the payoff's too big here. I think, uh, you know, I've thought about this for a long time, and I'm like, how I want to pick Derek Lewis so bad. How am I going to rationalize it? And the first thing I thought of, like, okay, Derek Lewis, you know, annihilated Curtis Blades in his last fight there. And Curtis Blades is very good. If Gane and Blades fought, 
pretty sure I'd pick Blades. I'd have to think about that a little bit, but I, I would definitely pick Blades. So Derek Lewis can do this to any man. I don't think that Gane has tasted. Maybe it's because he's so technically sound he can avoid the shots, but Gane hasn't tasted this kind of power, mostly because it's it's super rare. Now, Gane did able, was able to get five rounds through with Jair Rosen Struick, you know, uh, Junior Dos Santos, I guess, you know, past his prime to Junior Dos Santos. The Volkov win is good. And then before that, he kind of got fed a few cans here uh, with his first few UFC fights. So on the other hand, Lewis has fought pretty much a murderer's row of the heavyweight division. Now, he's not winning every single one of these fights, but he's won his last four. Some of them, some of those decisions were a little bit, uh, you know, maybe questionable early on. There's a split against uh, Ivanov, the Latifi one, some people think could have gone both ways. Lost to Dil Santos, lost to DC, has lost to Mark Hunt. But Derek Lewis's win against Volkov, absolutely insane. The win against Nganu, you see that on the record. Don't take too much stock into that. That was where both men basically did nothing through like 10 punches the whole fight, and they barely gave it to Lewis. Um, so you can throw that out. You would hope, the UFC hopes, that if Lewis gets it done here, um, that outcome goes differently because that's where it's headed. It's Lewis and Ganu too. Um, that'll be an interesting challenge for the marketing team there, by the way, if they got to sell that fight again. But no, uh, I got to go with Lewis here. I love the payoff. I think that Gane hasn't you're right he hasn't tasted that power yet maybe he's too technically sound to avoid it but if he tastes it and he gets shook you know lewis is going to get that second win and charge forward and come throwing hammer fists um i don't worry about gane taking him down uh because well gane is you know big and strong and you know uses a good bit of that 265 pounds the story on lewis is usually oh he just like stands back up because he's stronger than everybody else and uh he might have a little bit of a harder time doing that here but you know if Derek Lewis gets taken down, he's almost like, oh, yes, nice. Now I get a little break. I can take a few deep breaths, you know. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so I, anyway, yeah, go ahead. I mean, th- that's just what I'm saying. I'm going to take I'm going to take Lewis because I think he's got an X factor here and might maybe he's being a little bit underestimated. I, I think you definitely make one very good point, and that is um, Derek Lewis is a different type of fighter than Alexander Volkov. We saw Sirogane torch Volkov, but Volkov, while he has a kickboxing base, Alexander Volkov is a volume guy. He's not a big knockout guy. He wins with, you know, volume and combinations and stuff. Obviously, Lewis is more of a one-punch knockout guy. So it's a different kind of challenge for Gane facing Lewis than it is against Volkov. You know, he passed the Volkov test with flying colors. So I'm interested to see what he does here. I just don't love the fact that I think Lewis's path to victory is so limited. But that's kind of what you're looking at in every Lewis fight. It's not like this fight sets up any differently than anything else, you know, any other fight he's in. So um, I definitely think he's being undervalued. I like his price on both DraftKings and from a Vegas odd standpoint. But I would still take Ghani as a flat-out outright pick. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I want to say is just from the DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, the last email I got today, 91% of the handle at DraftKings is currently with Derek Lewis. The public... Again, you could say, well, what the heck does the public know, really? But uh, everyone's kind of hoping for, you know, the Black Beast to get that big finish here. It'll be insanely exciting. This is in his native Houston. You know, this is part of the reason why they passed over Ngannou and did the whole inter- interim thing because they wanted Lewis on this card. They needed something on top of Nunes to be able to sell those pay-per-views. Of course, the Nunes fight is off now. Um and they wanted to put Lewis on there, and they wanted, and they needed somebody for Lewis, and they needed to beef that fight up, up, up and make it worth, worth, worth something for the viewers. And if Ngannou wasn't going to be the guy, you might as well take the the undefeated guy, you know, the thirty one year old. 
when you're 31, you're a prospect still in the heavyweight division. Um, so take the young guy uh, that that's on the rise and and see what he can do. And man, can you just imagine how much that crowd's going to erupt if Lewis gets it done? Oh, it'd be amazing. I mean, it, it, you know, just one other thing we should probably touch on quickly. You know, there's really no significant reason, really no valid reason for the UFC to be making a heavyweight an interim heavyweight title right now. I mean, Francis and Ganu less fought in March. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, it's not, March. yeah, it's not like it's been a long time, you know, mm-hmm. but like we talked about earlier, and that's what I meant when I said it at the beginning of the show, you know, the UFC is a money-making organization and they're under the impression and they're probably right that putting Lewis in a title fight in his hometown of Houston will help sell tickets and pay-per-views. And like you mentioned earlier, um, Amanda Nunes, who's not going to compete on this card, who was originally scheduled to, has had a notoriously difficult time driving ratings when she has headline shows. So um, they were going to slide them into the co-main event. So if you look at it that way, the originally scheduled card, you know, this makes sense as a main event. It just seems adding an interim title as far as the title picture itself is kind of unnecessary, given the fact Ngannou just fought in March. Yeah, really, it's a negotiation tactic, and apparently one that they use a, a decent amount. They say, all right, Nganu, we need you in July. Okay, I can't make July. All right, Nganu, we need you in August, and if you don't, we're going to make an interim. Oh, I can't. Well, okay, interim it is. You know, this this apparently isn't all that uncommon. It's 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 not fair, but, you know, it is what it is. It's the business here. So uh, real quick, before we get to the co-main, going to pause one second from, for a word from our sponsors over at Blue Wire. And we're going to get in the co-main now. Jose Aldo, Pedro Munoz, uh, DraftKings Celery has Aldo at 8,600, Munoz 7,600. Uh, Vegas odds reflect similarly only, maybe actually maybe a little bit tighter. Aldo's a minus 130 favorite at the sportsbook. Comeback on Munoz is plus 105. The odds to finish are plus 130. So we're most likely looking at a three-round kickboxing match here, aren't we, John? Yeah, sounds about right to me. Um you know, Jose Aldo has been an interesting story lately. He lost three straight fights from May 2019 to July 2020, so about a year ago. Um, I thought he was a actual cut candidate at the time. You know, the UFC has been trimming fat lately as in, ter- in terms of older fighters who, you know, can't compete at the level they once did. Um, I wasn't sure Aldo was going to get another chance. Not only did he get another chance, I'm pretty sure he got a contract extension too. Um and then he went on and easily took care of Marlon Vera last December. Um, Jose Aldo is going to be 35 years old next month. He's not the guy he was in his prime when he was widely considered probably the best pound for pound fighter in the world, if not the best, certainly, you know, in the top two or three. Um, but I don't think he's lost as much off lost as much in terms of skills as some people think he has. Mm-hmm. He's always been primarily a boxer. You know, he leans on those massive kicks that, you know, we've come to love that really set the tone for all of his fights. You know, if those kicks are landing early, you know, he's going to have a bunch of success. He has a tough task here. This isn't a walk in the park facing Pedro Munoz. Um, Munoz lost back-to-back fights to Frankie Edgar and Aljamain Sterling. But he fought again this past February and took care of Jimmy Rivera, who was tough and underrated. Um, Munoz looked good in that fight. Ultimately, I landed on Aldo simply because I think Munoz, I think Aldo has the ability to use Munoz's aggressiveness against him. Munoz is one of his greatest attributes is how he continues to push the pace. Um, But that leads to Munoz eating 5.87 significant strikes a minute. That's a very, very high number. 
that's even more than he lands. He lands 5.6. He eats 5.87. Um, when you land, when you eat more than you throw the, and land, that's not a good thing. Um, obviously, yeah. um, if you want to look at it from the flip side, Aldo eats just 3.52 significant strikes a minute. So you're looking at Munoz eating more than two more strikes a minute than Aldo. Um, I think Aldo can set the tone early behind those kicks. I'd be surprised if this isn't a competitive fight. You know, I, I think it's going to be close. You know, I don't think one guy's going to run the other out of the building. Um, you're probably going to see a decision, but I'll take Aldo. Yeah, right on. So going back to that three-fight losing streak for Aldo, it's aged pretty well because the first of that Very well. of, of that losing streak was Volkanovski. I never yep. expected Volkanovski to go turn around and do what he did after that fight. I was, I thought, oh man, Aldo's going to be dumb. But then I was just underestimating Volkanovski. Okay, fair enough. My bad. Next loss, Marlon Moraes. Split decision loss. Aldo won that fight. Anybody who watches that knows Aldo won that fight. The UFC knows Aldo won that fight because they turned around and gave him a title shot after that. Who gets a title shot right off a loss, you know? And the only way they could really rationalize that is because, hey, he won that decision, right? So then he goes and he gets knocked out by Piotr Jan, puts on an incredible display of toughness. That fight should have been stopped in the third. It should have been stopped in the fourth. And it was finally mercifully stopped in the fifth here. So I'm not quite sure what Leon Roberts is doing in that one, but anyway, uh, so he withstood that and he still came back. Now he's cutting to 135. This will be his fourth fight cutting to 135. I thought it was going to be a problem. Usually as fighters advance in age, they go up weight classes because their body can't handle the weight cuts. All those go in the other direction. And he came back and he got a pretty nice unanimous decision win from Cheeto Vera. So again, the, the losing streak aged well, you got Munoz. I'd say maybe he's a little bit of a step up from uh, Pedro Vera, but I don't know. If you're worried about Aldo, you're worried about the cut, and you're worried about his advanced age. They're both 34, so I'm not worried about that. Aldo will be will have a pretty decent size advantage here, too, a five-inch reach advantage for Aldo. Aldo's a better, more technical striker, even at this stage. The calf kick technique that we've been seeing over and over again lately is something that I think he's going to employ to wear Munoz down, and I think he wins the decision. Now, the question is that 8,600 is a decision win from Aldo really enough to do it? And I'm not necessarily sure. I would advocate maybe a little bit of exposure, probably more exposure than the, eh, maybe a little bit more exposure than the Munoz Sykes. I definitely think Aldo's going to win this fight, but I just, I, he's not going to, you know, that 12X, that 10X I was talking about. If he gets 80, if he scores 86 DraftKings points without any grappling at all, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, you know, if he's going to pay off from a drafting standpoint, you're probably looking at a fight that's back and forth. You know, I think in that case, Aldo would probably have to eat a bunch of strikes too in yep. order to pay off from an offensive standpoint. Um, you know, like you said, I probably have more exposure to Aldo because we both think he's going to win, you know, pretty significant, you know, by a comfortable margin as far as, um, you know, relative to his salary. But again, not my favorite play on the card, even though we both think he's going to emerge victorious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, his, just one last thing, like his last three fights that have gone to a decision, he's had 44, um, 58, and 29 significant strikes. And again, the 29 was against Volkanovski. I didn't see that coming. 58 was against Marais in a fight that, you know, we probably won. And then 44 in the win against Vera. I mean, Vera had 46, Aldo had 44, and there was really no grappling stats to speak of in that fight. So I don't know if he's going to be a super high DraftKings scorer at this stage of his career. There's, I could fading him you fade the name because most mma fans even the most casual know who aldo is and they're going to want to stack him in their lineups even if he is a big favorite and uh yeah so maybe maybe i i'm not gonna straight up like if i were in the casino i'd much rather place a bet on him at minus 130 than to roll my roll the dice on really high exposure at 8600 i guess that's what i'm getting at yeah i would absolutely agree with that 
Okay, let's keep it moving here. We've got a welterweight matchup here. This is a pretty sneaky good matchup. Vicente Luque, 8,500 on DraftKings, going up against Michael Chiesa, 7,700 on DraftKings. This is another tight one on the betting odds. I mean, our staff picks are going to be interesting this week. Tune in for that tomorrow morning. I'll post that. Uh, Luque is a minus 125 betting favorite. Come back on Chiesa, plus 100. Odds to finish, minus 110, which basically means a pick em in the sports books here. How do you see this one going down, John? You're right. This is a really good fight. This is actually probably one of the fights I'm looking forward to most on the card. Um, Michael Chase has fought well. He's going to turn 34 years old in December, but he's been good lately. Um, he's won four in a row. You know, a couple of those wins, Carlos Condit, Diego Sanchez, you know, don't mean a ton these days, but, you know, wins over Rafael Dos Andros and Neil Magny. Um, I was actually really impressed with how Chiesa looked in the Magny fight. Magny has this unique ability to tailor his style to whoever he's fighting. And Chiesa looked good in that fight and handled everything Magny threw his way. Um, Chiesa is a wrestler by trade, and he's actually leaning on his wrestling more than any, more than at any other point in his career. Um, he's had four successful takedowns in each of his four previous wins. So that has certainly been the basis of his success. Um, Sante Luque, another good fighter, different kind of style, um, really aggressive on the feet innovative does a lot of weird things in terms of strikes but again he's another guy who is willing to eat a strike in order to land two of his own and you know it that kind of style works for a certain amount of time but genuine generally falls apart when you go against better competition and luke has had a problem against the best guys he's faced you know i wouldn't put michael chiesa in quite that category but chiesa is good Chiesa has zero knockouts in his pro yep. career, which is almost it's, it's almost impossible to believe. Yeah, 22 um, fights, no knockouts. Yeah. You know, there's a gigantic difference in terms of striking ability and power, like you just mentioned. Um, and I am worried that Chiesa is a candidate to be overwhelmed on the feet. That worries me a little, but he it actually worries me a lot. But he looks like he looks like a value play to me simply because uh, Vicente Luque is not the best wrestler in the world. His takedown defense is 65%, which is fair, not great. You know, you, you usually want to be north of 70 is what we usually say. Uh, 65% is not great. Um, if Michael Kia, I can see a scenario when Kiesa scores a takedown in, I don't know, two of the three rounds, right? He scores a takedown in rounds one and two and kind of just, grinds on uh, Luke for an entire round, it's going to be boring. Um, be it's not going to be very, it's not going to be a visually pleasing experience, but I can see a scenario where that leads to a key as a decision victory. I'm not confident about it. And I'm worried about the striking difference between the two, but it just looks like enough of a value to me that I'll roll with the underdog and hope Kiesa can just somehow just land a couple takedowns and just grind Luke out. But the striking difference between the two and Kiesa getting overwhelmed on the feet is a concern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I was picking this one, and I've always been a big Vicente Luque fan. Our, our Dynasty League has since folded, but he was a guy I got in our Dynasty League. I love watching him fight. I love what he's all about in his style. Um, I think 
part of me is poisoned because when I think of Michael Chiesa, I have a hard time thinking of his recent wins over Magni and Dos Santos, which are very respectable. I think of his back-to-back submission losses to Kevin Lee and Anthony Pettis, and look at what those two guys have went on to do since then. Now, again, those are 2017-2018. A lot can change in four or five years as a fighter, especially when you're 33 on you know what's supposed to be the tail end of your uh, or, you know the tail end of your athletic prime here. So, uh, Condit that win's pretty worthless. Diego Sanchez, that win's pretty worthless. RDA and Magni, though, are, are legit. So, uh, And, of course, I picked against Chiesa in both of those fights. I'm pretty, pretty sure. Um, so maybe I'm always constantly underestimating Chiesa, but I think Luque walks him down and, and stops him here. I've, I very much think that, that could happen. Now, Chiesa's lost only four times in his pro career, only once by knockout, so it's tough to bet on that specific outcome. But if Luque can defend the takedown at all, you know Luque is uh his cardio is held up in just crazy wars. I mean, I think back to his uh his Brian Barbarina fight a few years back where Barbarina just wouldn't go down and, and Luque landed 163 significant strikes in that fight before putting him out. Um, even against Wonderboy Thompson. And now granted, Wonderboy Thompson worked Luque in that fight. Uh that was the last loss of note for Luque. I mean Luque still put 77 significant strikes on him, uh, you know, 130 on Nico Price. And then he's got stoppages in his most recent two fights. Luque is just a high drafting scorer as it is. And to see him priced less than Jose Aldo, I'll have a lot more Luque than Aldo, I think. And uh, I think Luque could break 100. He could definitely break 12x in this one. I mean, Luque has lost twice since, let me get it right, July 2015. Mm -hmm. And the two losses came against Wonderboy and Leon Edwards. I mean, yes. you know, Elite. you're talking about it. You're talking about a guy who's handled most everybody who's been put in front of him. And, yeah, and I'm picking Wonder Boy and Edwards without hesitation, I think, over Kiesa. You- yeah, I mean, you know, and even and Ed, it's weird because Edwards is different. Edwards wasn't the fighter back then that he is now. So that's yep. a little tricky. But yeah. as far as Luke losing to Wonder Boy, I mean, Luke is a stand up striker. You know, you're not going to pick anybody against Wonder Boy in a kickboxing match. Mm-hmm. So like even the even that loss is like defensible when you look at it that way. Like, you know, that's a stand-up fight. And if you're gonna go on points, you know, via decision, you're not gonna take any, you know, any welterweight on the roster over Thompson. So Luke has been really good. Um he certainly, I think, has at least an even chance of overwhelming uh Chiesa on the feet as Chiesa does of getting him to the ground and grinding one out. But there's enough value there for me to just take the underdog. It's close. You know, there's not much of a difference here either way, which is essentially what the Vegas odds say. Yeah. And you know, I I look at Sherdog List as Luke's camp at Serato MMA. I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure I'm super familiar with that. You think if he was over at AKA or something, he'd be drilling takedown defense constantly, constantly and be able to figure that out. Um so you know will he have that or does he just have enough confidence in his hands uh, to be able to get this done. I guess we will see. To me, it's all going to depend on whether he can defend the takedown attempts or not. If he if he has to spend the fight on his back, it'll look bad for the judges. He could lose the decision. If he can avoid the first and avoid the second takedowns and start really putting it on Chiesa, then uh, it could be a quick night at the office there for Luke. So that's how I'm seeing this fight. Yeah, I mean, no matter where he is, obviously, you know, if you were with American Top Team or whatever, you know, your training partners will be different. Arguably, you'd be getting, you know, the more best. high quality <laughs> opponents to spar. Right. But no matter where Vicente Luque is training, he knows what Michael Chiesa is going to do. Yep. You know, the guy doesn't have a knockout win in his career. He knows he's not going in there to get in a kickboxing match with him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, all right. Yeah, that's the that's the main factor in that fight. And I guess we will see what happens. But uh, again, yeah, I'd be putting my money at the sports sportsbook uh, on Luque in this one, I think. 
minus 125 is even a little bit friendly. I gotta I gotta look as that had those, those odds change. Yeah, you can even get him at minus 110, minus 15. DraftKings Sportsbook has him at minus 115 right now. So uh more value come. Oh, I mean, I don't know if that worries me with money going towards Chiesa or makes me want to double down on that bet even more. Uh, we'll have some decisions to make later this week here. Let's jump over to a women's strawweight fight. This is the one that was added to the card after Nunez and Pena got canceled. We have Tesha Torres taking on Angela Hill. Torres is a pretty decent sized favorite here. She's uh, 8,700 on DraftKings compared to 75 for Angie Hill. Torres, Torres minus 140 at the sports books. Comeback on Hill plus 115. These women don't have a ton of knockouts at all combined. So, understandably, the odds to finish here are plus 240. Uh, what are your thoughts here on this one, John? Well, first of all, is that plus 240, even that doesn't seem right. You know, I doesn't think like enough. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, I'd be pretty shocked that this fight ended in anything other than a decision. Um, Angela Hill and uh, Torres are two fighters whose skill set really mirror each other. They're both stand-up fighters with little knockout power. Um, they both rely on volume and combinations and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, we should probably mention quick, these two fought way back in June 2015. Um, you know, it was a fight that was actually both their official first official fights on the roster after you know, coming off the Ultimate Fighter. Um I've always liked Angela Hill, and I've always thought she's over uh, underrated. I should say. Part of it is because I love how much she fights. You know, she's fought twice. She fought twice and four times in 2019, four times in 2020. This will be her second fight of 2021. Um, her five and four record in her past nine fights isn't great, but she's fought better than that. You know, there are three splits. Four, three of the four losses in there came via split decision. And there were at least one or two she certainly appeared to win and fell victim to the judges. Um, I'm a little, you know, obviously a little worried that she's 36 years old. You know, she's getting up there in age, but she keeps herself in great shape. Um, you know, she considering her style of fighting, she should have at least a couple more years of you know success. You know, she given looks cut, by the way, I mean, oh, I, she's ripped. She's in strict, terrific shape. Strictly always. research purposes, you know, I checked out her Instagram a little bit this week, and she is just as cut as ever. You know, always she like she could be twenty-four. She always is, and she's fighting an opponent in Tesh Torres, who is another one who looked like she was done. You know, she lost four straight fights from February twenty eighteen to August twenty nineteen. Um, she has since rebounded with wins over Vian Brianna Van Buren and Sam Hughes. Um, the Hughes fight was the most recent one. She won that via knockout, which was somehow the first knockout win of her career. That was the late um, notice replacement, right? They gave, they yeah. gave her a UFC debut. Yep. So I forget who it was, but somebody got canceled and they just wanted to, yeah. she wanted to stay on the card. You know, it's important to note that of Torres's five career losses, four of them, have come against women who are either currently or former UFC women's throwaway champions. I mean, the laws for the four five losses are Rosanami Yunus, Yuani and Jacek, you know, Zhang Wele and Jessica Andrade. So when she loses, she loses to the best there is. Um, I'm a little surprised at the numbers here. This for me sets up more of a pick them than um, as it looks in Torres's favor. Everything from the advanced statistics, everything you look at tells you these women are very evenly matched. The only one real difference is that it, uh, Hill has a four-inch reach edge, which you know could certainly come into play in what is a projected to be a kickboxing match. 
I ultimately took Hill as an underdog only because I think she fights with a tad more physicality than Torres. She's a little more aggressive. There's a bit more um for a lot, you know, there's a bit more, I don't want to say determination because that sounds negative towards Torres, but there's a bit more ferocity with the way she fights as opposed to Torres. And if you look at it, I think Torres is being slightly overvalued here. Yes, the losses she had come against elite competition, but wins over Brianna Van Buren and Sam Hughes don't tell us much of anything. I like I like Hill's activity. I like how much how often she fights. You know, she's fought, you know, eight or ten times since we've seen some other people fight, which is crazy. Um, you know, if you haven't fought in, you know, two years, which some of these guys and women haven't. Hill's been in there 10 times since then. You know, it's crazy. But so I ultimately rolled with Hill. It's just another case. I have more confidence in Hill here than I do Chiesa in the previous fight. Essentially, I picked both because I saw both as value, but I would have more confidence in Hill winning. Yeah, I'll start by saying I don't think I could ever take an $8,700 favorite in a fight that is plus 240 to go to the distance. I just I don't see myself... You know, maybe I'll make five, ten lineups or something for this card. I'm going to be out of town, so I, I don't get to watch it. So it's less fun to do lineups there. But so maybe I make ten lineups. Okay, I don't think I'll, I'll put Torres in in really any of them because I have a hard time seeing her hit even ten x in a decision here. Now, decent volume, four point three significant strikes landed per minute. Hasn't really used the wrestling um, a whole lot lately. Here, I want to look to see. Um, I guess she took down Sam Hughes once. She was taken down twice by Van Buren. And then, yeah, that Sam Hughes takedown was her only takedown in her last five fights. So I don't think we can count on her to use the wrestling, especially when Angie sits here with a 76% takedown defense, which is more than respectable for Hill. So I got to say, I'm going to be with you here. I think that this fight stays standing and Hill's going to be able to use her takedown defense and reach advantage to keep uh, to keep any wrestling attempts of Torres at bay. Torres is basically going to have to lunge forward and Hill will kind of have to push her off like a matador. And then and you look in terms of, you know, straight striking volume, five, six, six for Hill mixed with that reach advantage. I think uh, this is Hill's fight. Now, she uh, she beat Yoder. Maybe in her recent fight, obviously, Yoder looked like garbage last week. She, you know, she was upset before that Hill. Listen, I got nothing but love for Michelle Watterson on this show. You know, congratulate her for winning that fight. But, man, I don't really think she beat Angela Hill in that fight. So it's really close. And then the Delia one was a split decision. So Hill, Hill's fought some pretty elite women I thought in this Hill weight won class that fight as well. Too. Yeah. I yeah, thought she won exactly. the Gadelia fight, too. So she's caught some tough breaks here. So you can't – the record doesn't tell the full story. You need to make sure you know that when you're taking a look there. So – Mixed with, I mean, I don't, again, I don't care about Hill's age. I think she's someone that's going to be able to fight till she's 40 if she wants to. She just looks like she's in that good of shape and um, hasn't, doesn't seem to be slowing down here. I, uh, I'm taking Hill as an underdog in this one. And uh, I like Hill better than Kiesa, like you said. And I think she'll be, I'll actually be pretty heavy on Hill because I think she can get to at least 10x. I think she's a good pick in cash games and, and, and GPPs because she can throw enough volume down there in 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, and the other thing to mention is, Obviously, no woman in the 115 pound division is big. You know that's the that's why you're fighting at 115 pounds. But Torres is smaller than most. You know she's five foot one. Hill's five foot three. So you mentioned that 
wrestling is tornado isn't able, that tiny tornado yeah, that comes from something wrestling right. isn't a part really a part of either of these two women's games but mm. it would be it seemed to be especially difficult for torres given the fact she's even at 5-1 she's smaller than and even in 115 pound division she's smaller than most everybody she goes against you know she would be probably if the ufc had an atom weight division at like 105 pounds she might even be small for that you know not many fighters on the ufc roster are five foot one yeah so, yeah exactly that, yeah that's a tough one all right so i think we're in agreement on that one with hill um bantam weight here this one kicks off the pay-per-view yudong song against casey kenny this one man this one's tough i had to think about this one a long time because it is a pick em. kenny 8200 song 8000 kenny minus 115 comeback on song minus 105 would you read that that's just because the sports book needs to make their money this fight's a pick em, uh by all intents and purposes here odds to finish plus 140 maybe a little surprising for me but i think it's uh i think song's got some power but kenny's also tough and technical and will be difficult to put away um what do you think about this one kenny's been really good you know Kenny has lost uh, twice since joining the UFC. Those two defeats came in his most recent fight. He dropped a split decision to Dominic Cruz, former UFC champion. And his first loss of the company came against Mirab Dvalishvili in a fight in which he allowed seven, I'm sorry, he allowed 12 takedowns. Now, with Habib Nurmagomedov retired, there's like a legitimate argument to be made that Dvalishvili might be the best wrestler in the UFC at this point. Um, yeah. If it's not him, it might be Islam Makhachev, but it's, you know, if he's not, he's certainly in the top two or three. I wouldn't be so, shocked if he wears a belt one day. I really love Dvalishvili. Oh, he's good. And, you know, it's not particularly entertaining to watch all the time because it's just takedown after takedown. Even the first 10 don't land, you know, there's an 11, 12th, and 13th. But, you know, getting taken down, My our point is that getting taken down a bunch by him is not as, you know, the end of the world. So... I thought he looked pretty good in the Cruz fight. I thought Cruz won that fight probably, but it was close. Um, Casey Kenny's been good. Um, certainly better than I think most people expected when he arrived on the scene. Going against, uh, you know, an opponent also who is no easy mark. You know, Song is undefeated in his first five UFC, uh, was undefeated in his first five UFC fights. Um, he dropped the unanimous decision to t- Kyler Phillips in his last fight, but... When you look at Song, the one thing you look at is the upside. He's just 23 years old. And we talk about this all the time where if you look at past fight, you know, you look at like the Macy Barbers and the Miranda Mavericks of the world. And, you know, back in the day, Paige Van Zant and, um, you know, Sage Northcutt. When you have fighters that age in the UFC, I don't want to say wins and losses don't matter because they do. But essentially, when you're that young, all that matters most, I should say, is that you just get consistent reps, you know, continued fighting. You don't get hurt. You know, you're in the octagon on a regular basis, that kind of thing. So his upside is immense. You know, he hasn't faced a ton of great competition song, but there's clear upside here. Again, this is another fight like the last three that are essentially pick them. I ultimately ultimately landed on Kenny. Only because I thought the level of competition he faced was a little better. You know, I'll take, um, you know, I'll take Cruz and Davalashvili and guys like Ray Borg and Luis Smolka. You know, guys who have had you know some decent wins over the the guy best guy song his face who are probably I guess Marlon Vera who we talked about earlier and Cody Stamen are probably the best guys that song has faced. Um, this is close. You know, certainly wouldn't be the least bit surprised if. 
Um, Song ended up winning, but again, like you said, you know, DK salaries eighty two hundred eight thousand, virtually no different, no difference. Um, you know, like you said, Vegas odds Kenny minus one fifteen, Song minus one hundred five. That's because the Vegas books have to make money somewhere. So again, exactly, pick them. You know, pick the fight ten yeah. times, probably take both guys five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. And I mean, my argument for Kenny, and that's eventually where I landed here. And that's, I'm actually very, very surprised, almost shocked. I'll spoil the staff picks a little bit. I think I'm waiting on one more person to submit. And I think five of our six pick Kenny. I'm like, oh man, that's going to be such a risky thing if it ends up being unanimous. But a lot of our guys that I'd like to think know what we're doing here have been on Kenny. But for me, when I was personally debating back and forth on this fight, it came down to strength of record for me. And that's really echoing pretty much uh, what you just said there with the caliber of competition. You know, I'll I'll bring up the the fight matrix metrics, their ELO and and all their different ones. You know, they try. There's no... There's no math formula that can really predict the cage fighting. I'm going to preface this with that, but they put four different, you know, kind of formulas, equations that they use on this website. All of them go to Kenny, and I would say that it is because of strength of record. So um, I think I like Kenny. I mean, I've, when you're 8,200, you're still technically a value play as the favorite because I'm pretty sure the average they give you is like 82.33 per fighter. So you're still technically underneath your average here. So I, I, I wouldn't mind using them. I'd maybe get both sides. I think. Song has more ceiling because of that knockout power. You know, if he clocks him and clips him, he's going to be high scoring. I, but I most likely see Kenny winning this here by decision here. And uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, Song's still in prospect status in my eyes. He'll win a couple, lose a couple. Uh, his most recent fight, I don't know if you touched on that, but his most recent fight, uh, he lost to Kyler Phillips. Yeah. And that's not holding up well because Kyler Phillips just got freaking worked by Howley and Paiva. And I, uh, and I'm always going to hold a little sore spot for that because I got knocked out of my survivor pool. Uh, I was down to one life left, and I picked Kyler Phillips, you know, and I look real stupid. So um, Why would you but, pick Kyler Phillips with one life left? Because he was the biggest favorite on the card. Oh, I don't Jesus. know. It wasn't a lot of – he was the biggest bet. He was the, No, he was either him or like uh, – it was either him or Sajar Eubanks as far as the biggest favorites. On All the right, card. I would have picked. I would have picked him too. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess I could have taken someone who was like minus one forty and been fine. But no, I mean, after Kyler Phillips beat someone like Song Yudong, who I respected, um, I went ahead and uh, I was like, okay, I don't think much of Howley and Pyre, but Pyre was fighting up a weight class, and uh, and he, I mean, Kyler Phillips almost had him out in the first round, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be safe. Oh, you good? And then I'd spent the next ten minutes just like, what did I do? What did I? No, nah, you you definitely made a good point on the upside, though. If you would have told, if you said to me, pick a fighter long term, mm-hmm. you'd have to pick Song just because of the youth and you know the mm-hmm. long term ceiling. But you know, we're not talking long term. We're talking one fight on Saturday. Yeah, we're going. Uh, yeah, we're going pretty heavy. Uh, with Kenny and our staff picks, and I hope it, it he'll it he'll he'll, he'll lose now. Yeah, of course he'll lose because we're because we, we're doing we're gonna have a unanimous pick on a minus. He has he has guy. no chance. I would get some. I would. I, I'll just I, I'll say it again. I'll get a little exp- like if I make ten lineups, maybe five of them, four or five of them have Kenny. One, maybe two of them are gonna have Song just because of that uh, one punch knockout power there so that's what i like there um that kind of wraps us up for our main card discussion we've done this almost 45 minutes now is there uh is there anything in particular you want to hit any any other underdogs you want to highlight we have a couple people asking in chat about underdogs so i was curious if any of them have uh have caught your eyes at all well i got one underdog that i like and that's vince morales against Draco rodriguez um, you know, the salaries are close enough. Morales is 7,800. Rodriguez is 8,400. Um, and as far as the Vegas odds, this is essentially what we just spoke about with Song and Kenny. 
Um, you know, Morales is 105, Rodriguez is minus 115, which basically means it's a pick em and Vegas has it like that because they got to make their money. Um, so I think Morales is a decent play um, given his price there. If you're looking from just a straight up betting standpoint, um, the one fighter I really like is Carolina Kolkiewicz. Um, I know, I believe Jessica Penny won her last fight, if I'm not mistaken, I think, because I lost a whole bunch of money on it. And I'm pretty sure that stands out in my mind, if I'm not mistaken. Well, she beat uh, Lupita sure. Yeah, that was it. I, I lost a I lost a fortune on that. So, yeah, yeah. okay. So, Split you know. Split decision, of course, you know. Right, of course, to make it more difficult. Um, But, you know, I'm, Jessica Penny's not particularly good. And, like, I know Carolina hasn't been great lately. Actually, she's been bad lately, but dreadfully. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, Jessica Penne had lost her three pre- prior fights to that. Um, she has virtually no power. I'll just I'm confident Carolina can overwhelm her on the feet. You know, like I wouldn't touch it from a drafting standpoint because it's what we spoke about earlier where I don't think the payoff is there. I don't think there's going to be enough volume. I don't think there's going to be anything even in a fight that's probably going to see the final bell but if you told me you know give me a confidence pick as far as vegas odds carolina at minus 120 and let me just check do we have her uh minus 120 looks like the best price looks like a bunch of sites have her minus 125 too but even at minus 125 i think that's a pretty good price yeah yeah that's interesting. Not from not from, not from DraftKings, but for for yeah, just, just for, betting. For, for betting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um. Yeah, I can see that. I just I can't really put too much stake in Kovalkiewicz after what I've seen from her lately. The one that I wanted to highlight a little bit. Um. Now people might think I'm a little crazy for this, but uh, this is a let's see. Manolkape is I'm probably butchering that name, but he's pretty much a minus two hundred or greater favorite across the book, and I'm not quite sure I understand why. He's still only 27. He's got room to grow. He was an absolute killer at Ryzen before coming over to the UFC. But he comes over to the UFC, and he's he's like a really slow starter. He doesn't get going. You can see the power in his hands, but against both Alejandro Pantoja and Matthias Nicolau at flyweight, um, you know, he could never get going, and it ended up costing him back-to-back decisions. And I don't know what the deal is with Ode Osborne getting uh, undervalued here, but, I mean, this is a guy that uh, – what weight class is this being contested at? I thought it was flyweight at first. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, no, okay, so it's at uh, – no, it's at, it is at flyweight. Yeah, it is flyweight, so, yeah. So Ode Osborne came in. You know, Sherdog says he's 145. We know he's not 145 anymore. He's going down to 125. You know, Brian Kelleher, he lost to in his UFC debut coming off Contender Series. Okay, fair enough. Then he went out and beat Jerome Rivera by first-round knockout, Ode Osborne did. And uh, – Oh, wait, I'm thinking of a different Jerome Rivera. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, though, uh, but Osborne was someone that I that we that we purchased or we picked up yes, as a free agent in our yes, dynasty yes, pool. Yes, and we, we thought pretty highly of him at one point, especially coming off contender series. I just, uh, you know, maybe I've got some Wisconsin bias. He trains, it says Waukesha MMA on his shirt dog here. I don't know, though. I think he's got decent hands for 125. And the fact that he's, um, let me look at the uh, the measurements here. I just like, you know, Kape was a killer in Ryzen, and I'm, maybe I'm just underestimating him, but Osborne's going to come in two-inch height and five-inch reach advantages. As long as he can make 125, that's the thing that I'm worried about because he goes from 145 to 135 to flyweight now. I think that's kind of his last stand in the UFC. You want to check him on the scales to make sure it's okay. Osborne is someone I'd maybe think about because, 
you know, whatever Cape did overseas, I just haven't seen it here. I've seen a slow starter who doesn't seem to be quite as into it here. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm looking at Ode a little bit on an early prelims and probably putting him in a couple lineups because it's given me a bunch of flexibility to use some of the big favorites here. Um, as far as big favorites, I do got to ask, you got any favorites for the gone in 60 second bonus here? I can I can run the numbers here, but anyone you think's got that big knockout early coming? It's the most impossible I, thing to call to, to predict. I know. I know I'm putting you on the spot. No, I mean, I, I guess I would probably just take two guys. I mean, I would get probably just take Lewis and Luke. I yeah. mean, I guess Lewis would have to be at the start of that every single time you talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, but Derek Lewis has kind of changed the way he's fought lately. He's been a little more patient. Yep. He's not he running knows. around like yeah. he's picking. Yeah, obviously when he throws, he throws from the bleachers, mm -hmm. you know, and is seeking that, you know, massive finish every time. But he's let it come to him a little bit more. You know, he's fought a little bit smarter, you know, tried to pick his shots a little more. So, you know, I don't know. Been, you know, that's been calculated one. sprints. It almost reminds me a little bit of UL Romero, who packed on so much muscle yeah. and cut so much weight that his yep. cardio burnt out. So he yep. would wait. Romero's last. Wait. And be Romero's patient. last three or four yeah. UFC fights. That's what he did. Mm -hmm. He sat Wait. back and Wait. busted it for like 10 to 15 seconds at a time. Mm -hmm. and then, then he went back into the shell. And, then, yep, and, and then he did it again. Yep. That's kind of what it is. He's starting to do that too. So for that reason, I don't know if I necessarily like him as the gone in 60 second bonus. If I had to pick one, uh, I was mentioning the at the beginning of the show, we've got uh, odds up on the DraftKings or on off from a bunch of sports books on the Rotowire sports betting site. That is, uh, that's rotowire.com slash. Uh, betting slash MMA, or you can just you can na navigate from the main site here. But this late in fight week, we've got three sports books that have round one finish props in, and I'll read those in order. Alonzo Menafield has the best round one finish prop on the card at plus two hundred. Now, again, I'm jaded because like two editions of Survivor Pool ago, Alonzo Menafield knocked me out because he didn't get the first round knockout and then he got knocked out a ton of early power again you're, you're laughing you're like why the heck are you picking these guys it's like well you're picking that's why you pick all the guys on the same card yeah oh no no no, no. so you you get you get three fight fights per card right you oh get three okay lives, I got you. and then you have to pick three fights per card and if one of your guys loses then you only get two lives then you only get one life and then it goes so then the the big uh group of people that, oh, I'll, I'll say i'll make sure you get in the next one it's a fun little pool to do so i would have picked menafield like it mm -hmm. with the question you just asked yeah, but like Ed Herman is just like the ultimate veteran. He's I mean, the so, guy he's gritty. The guy has forty fights and he's been knocked out three times. Like it takes like a truck to get like a Mack truck to get Ed Herman out of there. So mm -hmm. you know, I trust Menafield, but I don't know betting against you know you can't bet Ed Herman a win, but I would bet against Ed Herman getting stopped quickly if I had to. Yeah, so yeah, I don't think that's happening. Uh, number two on the list, Johnny Munoz plus 340. Um, okay, he's the fourth highest price fighter here, 9,100 Bantamweight. I, I'm not sure I, I'm confident enough to put it in there. And then we got three guys plus 470, Gane, of course. The favorite Fiziv, who's the second highest price on the card in 9,300. And we were kind of talking about this before the show, Melissa Gatto. Like, who the heck is this person making her UFC debut? But she's a submission artist, so that's and she's pretty highly priced, so they kind of like the submission there. Um, I don't know if I had to guess one. Oh, geez, I'd probably go down the list and think, think, uh, Luke, he's at uh, let me see what, what his number is. He's plus 850, so he's uh. 
or no wait, wait no he's plus five, plus 580 so he's actually next on the list one two three four five six seven he's seventh on the list i guess but even Luke he's more of a pick. volume combination guy like yeah. he's like you know it you're right though it is the t- it's by far the toughest thing to predict mm-hmm. because every card you know there are 12 13 fights in every card you inevitably end up with somebody who gets like a knockout in like 40 seconds and you look at it and you go, how the hell did that happen? It happens like once on every card mm-hmm. and like yeah. you could flip a coin a hundred times, figure out who it is, but it's really anyone's guess. And actually, as far as the odds to finish, um, you know, the Menafield fight, which we just mentioned with Ed Herman at minus 275 is the greatest. After that, it's the main event, which is minus 200. But on the whole, this is a card that has a lot of fights where it seems as if it's going to go a pretty decent amount of time. You know, there aren't any other crazy fights where, you know, Vegas thinks this is going to end quickly. Yeah. So naturally that means we're going to have like nine, 10 finishes here. Cause that's Probably. how it always is. Yeah. Every time you underestimate a card, that is like the golden rule of MMA. You underestimate a card. There ends up being a ton of awesome finishes here. Well, these but, sports uh, books aren't, you know, they're open because, you know, they know what they're doing. You know. Yes. Yeah, of course. Uh, but the betting favorite, I think the stat is the betting favorite only wins 60% of the time in MMA. God, there was one. Was it last week's card? Was it last week's card where like the first five fights or something were all all went to the underdog? Or I don't all know if it was last underdog, week. Yeah, yep. Something like that. Yep. Yeah, I remember I used I used Phil Rowe and he was one of my high exposure underdogs last yep. week. And uh, then that paid off. But then all my favorites started losing and it fell apart. Go. It, it evens out very fast. You basically yeah. had to leave like two grand on the table to take a GPP in DraftKings last week. It was one of the one of the more unique cards, and uh, one that started with geez, fifteen fights ended up being ten, almost nine by fight. I mean, things are getting crazy with the COVID stuff, and of course, we already lost Nunez on this card to COVID. And uh, you know, hopefully, they rebook that fight soon, and we're gonna just knock on all the wood possible here. Oh, sorry if that hurt you in your headphones. There, we're gonna knock on all the wood okay. possible that this one stays together here uh any any final thoughts or are we, we good to wrap it up no we're good you know this is this is a good card you know like we spoke or off the air earlier you know you would think that a card took a dip because you know another type you lost a title fight but like nunez isn't drawing like i think everybody assumed she was gonna blow juliana pena out of the water anyway so like mm-hmm. sure losing a title fight hurts but like if you're losing a fight and you're calling an event that seems to have a preordained decision where, you know, most everybody is, you know, 99.9% sure how the thing's going to end, you know, is it that big a deal? You know, you might end up getting a fight in this place. That's even better or more entertaining. Well, for DraftKings players, do you really want a $9,800 Amanda Nunes in the pool? I mean, like, because she would have been a minus 2000 favorite. Oh yeah. You're going to get it. You're getting it. Every fight she and Valentina Shevchenko have, you are getting that until they fight each other. If they fight someone else, you're getting it. And so you spend ninety eight hundred on Nunes, and you know, then that'll that would shove Derek Lewis's ownership up a ton because there's no uh, there's no other underdogs that are that viable. Really. That's what so. that's what would have been fun about it. It, would, it. You know, obviously we'll never know because the fight didn't happen and it got pulled before they put up the salaries. But it would have been interesting to see what it did to the other fights on the card. Who would have went up? Who would have went down? Things like that. Yeah, well, I think the salaries are are kind of figured out independently, but Jeff definitely like the roster percentage when it comes to GPP. That's when it changes a ton. I would have guessed I out of I'd have said Nunes at ninety eight hundred probably. I mean, with the new scoring, I don't think I've seen anybody up over ten thousand lately. But uh, I don't know. I could be wrong on that. But um, I mean, that, she she would have been the highest. She would have been the highest price oh, fighter yeah. on the card by a mile. Like that wouldn't yeah. have been remotely close. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Yeah, more than Cyril Gane for sure. Like when Shevchenko fights Lauren Murphy, I, I want to say, is that that the next pay per view? I mean, 
Shevchenko is going to be the highest price, price fighter on the card by, you know, a million miles. It's not even going to be remotely close. Yeah. All right. So I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Thanks again to the handful of listeners that stuck through here with us. Uh, thanks again, to everybody participating in chat. Hope you guys like these videos. I, I definitely enjoy doing them with you, John, and hopefully we can keep this uh, continued. And uh, if you missed this on the video, hopefully you're catching this on uh, the Rotowire MMA podcast feed available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, hopefully you're catching that later, just in time to get you some early prep for UFC 265. So thanks again for listening. Uh, once again, he's John Litterin. You can follow Follow him on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. I'm Jake Letarski. Follow me at Roto Jake. We're going to be back with you guys prior to UFC 266. That's Volkanovski versus Ortega on September 25th, I believe. Should be a good one, John. Yeah, absolutely. Another solid card. The UFC's done a good job lately. You know, we've talked about how they put a couple title fights on some cards and punt the rest, but they've done a pretty okay job lately of, you know, still filling them out pretty strong. Yeah, there's nothing more electric than watching Connor. Uh, you know, when I was out in Vegas, and oh yeah, you did go to more, that. I forgot. There's nothing yeah. more electric than uh, watching Lewis light up the crowd this weekend. The Houston crowd with a, with a, with the one punch up. God, it would be so. I just want to see his interview if he wins. <laughs> yes. Could well, you yeah, imagine that, his interview? Oh his god, his interview would be just absolutely golden, just amazing. I can't wait. He must have something prepped for that. Oh, the guy's but great. First, go get it done. I mean, his Instagram, one of the best personalities in the game. Of course, he's a fi- fan favorite. Of course, he's got ninety-one percent of the handle in the, in the sports books. Everyone wants to see this guy cash as an underdog. I mean, if he cashes as a plus three hundred underdog. Jeez, the guy's going to be uh, he, his star level is going to go even up even further. So, yep, for sheer entertainment value alone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, okay. Well, that'll wrap it up then. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and uh, best of luck on those lineups. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.